Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. I was in the cherub choir when I was three. And I remember, um, I remember the Christmas, there was a Christmas church special production that we put on and you know, you always want to be an angel, I think, when you're a little girl. Or a devil. It's one or the other. But I ended up being the donkey. And I, I know somebody has to be the donkey, right? But it's always that moment of, um, my father would say, Now, Myra Ellen, you be a good sport now. You be the donkey. And uh, that's my first memory of being in the choir. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Efren Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on this episode, we're talking about Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, a B-side from Tori's fourth album, From the Choir Girl Hotel. David. Oh, hi, Eve. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. It just makes me want to sing like, call out Mark Holly, get out your Yule logs. And I don't know the words to that song, but yeah. Are we feeling Christmassy here in the spring? <laughs> Tori was, apparently. I am, unless you're listening to this in the winter, and then I'm feeling Christmassy in the winter. Yeah, we're a show for all seasons. Are you a cherub or a donkey? Those are the choices? Yeah, that's what Tori said. Oh, no. Sorry, <laughs> she was in the cherub choir, but she wants to be a, an angel or a devil. I guess you could be an angel, a devil, or a donkey. Mm-hmm. Which are you? Um, I'm an angel. How about you? Okay. You don't sound convinced. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad we reached the point in our relationship where you don't feel like you have to try to hide it. <laughs> It takes a lot to be considered angelic, you know? I know. And we all know a wing can cover all sorts of things, so. So what are your holiday rituals? What are your holiday routines, things that you can rely on year in and year out? Cookies and blood sacrifices. Oh, good. Good. Which first? Blood sacrifice. It's part of my cookie baking process. (laughs) Yeah, you need, it's like an ingredient. Yeah, the cookies don't turn out if you don't honor the gods first, so. I think one of the greatest things that I miss about the holiday season is your mother's cookie party. And I know. I'm, I know. And I I only went twice, but I was expecting to go year in and year out until I was a little old lady myself. And I'm devastated. It's like the one thing that quarantine took away from me that I, I'll never forgive the world for. Yeah, I'm sorry that happened to you. 
Thank you. I really am. And I think I told you my mom was considering just like retiring it because of the the interruption. But I think she's back to resurrecting it and like really kind of just for you, essentially. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She's like over her friends. They've done it. They've seen it. But like you really love it and appreciate it. And she really loves and appreciates you. So she's like, I could go another round. At least one for Eve. Thanks, Gaylene. One more time on this crazy ride we call Life and Cookie Party. (laughs) I really appreciate that. Yeah. That's great. I'm going to make dozens of cookies this Christmas. Uh-huh. Do you have any thoughts, ideas? You have time to brainstorm. Peanut butter. Mmm. They're all going to be variations on the peanut butter cookie. I like it. It'll be like your culinary night of hunters. Just variations mm. on classics. I mm-hmm. start with mm-hmm. peanut butter, but then I make it my own. It's a snickerdoodle, but now it's an eferdoodle. Uh-huh. <laughs> snickerdoodle <laughs> practice. I, in my life, have never had any like holiday rituals and holiday routines. My family wasn't especially religious or especially celebratory or especially friendly. So <laughs> we didn't actually do much. And some of the worst times I've ever had in my life have been on Christmas. And I want to discuss the holiday blues because that's where this song lives. It sure does. Yeah, it's like the saddest Christmas song. And I'll tell you, when I first heard the song, I want to hear your story. When you first heard this song too, but when I first heard the song... It was my mood the previous Christmas, the Christmas prior. And so when it came, you see Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. You think it's going to be Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, like a holly jolly song. You mean if you were to just read the title? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. When you saw the single. But when I heard it, I was like, whoa, that was like a really bad Christmas prior. And so hearing that just really hit that Christmas blues area in my heart, the holiday blues area in my heart. And Mm -hmm. I, I felt like I understood it. Yeah, and as we talked about on the last episode, the phrase Christmas in space being attached to purple people, sort of crafting a narrative around the song based on where she was the Christmas that she lost her baby. The same thing with Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, crafting a narrative around that story and just feeling like utterly devastated by it. How did you take it? I guess we knew because of the press cycle of this album around the time of year that events in her life had taken place. So we had a little bit of context and it made sense because I can't imagine just picking up the single released in April with no idea and being like, why is there a cover of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas on here? But it made sense, of course, given what we knew and it made it all the more heartbreaking. I mean, her ver- the song in and of itself is heartbreaking. Her version manages to somehow put it over the top even more so. And then you kind of add in what we knew. The reason why she made this choice and it all just kind of was a gut punch yeah a nicely packaged gut punch thanks story as always <laughs> gut punch with great photography mm-hmm. i'm hearing what you're saying and it's occurring to me now because my family was never especially celebratory around the holidays we didn't really have any holiday things that we did and we certainly didn't really listen to christmas music like if it was on the radio i would hear it it didn't occur to me until you just said that that have yourself a merry little christmas the original by judy garland is really sad so we could have expected it to be sad yeah it's not jingle bells yeah see like it didn't occur to me until just now that oh it's already sad Mm -hmm. (laughs) see and this was my first experience with the song i wasn't a judy garland fan necessarily so when you saw have yourself a merry little christmas did you think it was already going to be sad oh for sure well also we're talking about tori so (laughs) well she the last christmas song she had done was little drummer boy i had no idea it's like my mind is blown right now i really did expect it to be like a holiday number 
and I don't know, it was very meaningful to me when I heard it, and it wasn't that. I was so naive. I was well, so young, though. I mean, aside from Professional Widow, you know, Tori's never been known for club bangers or anything. And this was early on in her career, so we hadn't had the likes of, uh, I don't know, Pink and Glitter or something. So I think it was a safe bet that this was going to be kind of a melancholy dirge, which is exactly See, what I wanted. <laughs> well, no, I didn't come in with that bet because I'll flip the coin. You had Little Drummer Boy, and then you had a whole album of just like silly songs besides. So it could have gone either way, in my opinion. But my mind is blown. Thank you for saying that. Did your mom always have a cookie party every year? Like while you were growing up? No, I think the first one was like 2005. So it okay. was she's a late in life cookie party stress. <laughs> but did you ha- always have like holiday? You always like had a big Christmas though, right? We always had Christmas. We always had like a routine on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day for sure. So you were well versed in the carols. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Did you have the any... emotional Richter scale of the carols? <laughs> yes, for sure. Up, oh, I feel an aftershock coming on. From delirious to devastating. I know you shared that your family wasn't big on Christmas music, but nevertheless, we're all familiar with Christmas songs because you can't really escape it whether you like it or not. And I happen to like it, but do you or did you have any favorite Christmas carols or Christmas songs? Um, No. Uh, You know what? Like now... So in the last like five years, maybe five to 10 years that I've known and lived with my roommate, Ryan, Ryan's obsessed with Christmas music. And so like, I've grown to love it over the years. I love that because I know Ryan and it seems like such an unlikely fit, but it's very endearing to me to know that Ryan loves Christmas music that much. No, he's obsessed with it. And so like, I have become a fan of it. Yes. And actually, I have become a fan of certain Christmas music because of A, Tori Amos releasing her Solstice album, B, me and my friend Matthew putting together our Queer Cheer Christmas playlist, and I don't know, I have a very precarious relationship with Christmas music because it does lift your spirit, but it can also really like help instigate the blues if you have no one around the holidays, you know, and if you're already not a fan of the holidays, it can Mm -hmm. really just kind of great at you and remind you. Oh, I know. If you're in that place, and sometimes it's kind of like a fuzzy, familiar, nice place to be in that Christmas melancholy. You're like, I'm right on the brink. Hmm, what should I do to teeter over the edge? I know, I'll press play on Christmas Tide. That'll do it. <laughs> exactly, Holly. <laughs> um, actually, can I tell you, I actually really like Christmas Tide, meaning the EP, and I have continued to listen to Circle of Seasons since it came out. So I'm in the mood for Christmas and this episode. Good for you. Thanks. She's doing it. She's doing it. <laughs> Sisters are doing Christmas for themselves. She's really living. <laughs> All year long, she does it. That's an evergreen song. I am pirouetting through a circle of seasons as we speak. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Spin, David, spin. Uh, no, I mean, this last Christmas was fine. Let's throw out just now. Here we are at the top of the show still. Let's just throw out a few bars of our favorite holiday songs. Here's mine. Ready? Boom. I love that song. I love vibing with that song. Mm. What's up, Marvin? What's up, Marvin? (laughs) What about you? I think it's hard to beat the Christmas song, original Nat King Cole version. That will make your heart swell as soon as you start to hear it. 
Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And that's your favorite? I think so. You know, I would have Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas on my list for sure. And I also like a classic kind of Celtic-y, witchy vibe. So I would also add God Rest You Merry Gentlemen and a nice kind of choral arrangement of Here We Come a Wassailing. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my faves. Okay. I'm here to tell you. Congratulations to you. Thank you. Well, on that note, should we tell the people about our guests? Yes. I love Casper Christmas. Who's come a wassailing? Well, on this episode, we're checking back in with Gary Horrocks, who originally spoke on our Somewhere Over the Rainbow episode because he is a Judy Garland, not only super fan, he's an expert. Mm -hmm. So you're going to hear from an expert today. And he's the nicest guy. Can you imagine being an expert on something and a nice person? Unheard of. Who has the time? You want to be all things to all people? You can't. You have to pick one. We're also going to be talking to Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas super fan named Mixie. She wrote us several years ago with an interest in appearing on the show, specifically on this episode. So I'm glad that we're finally getting a chance to talk to her. We'd also like to say hello to our Patreon supporters. Hi. Feliz Navidad. Newest on our guest list, new patron, Brooke Schreiner. Burning witches, burning brooks, burning shriners in their looks. Oh, yes, indeed. Hello to new patron Celia Biggs. It's gotta be Biggs. Honey, bring it close to my Celia. Honey, bring it close to my Celia. Honey, bring it close to my... Honey, bring it close to my Biggs. Welcome back to Marla Darling and Claire Apparently. Marla Darling. Marla Darling. Marla Darling runs Framed and Dried, mm. which is the recurring Tori Amos drag show. So follow Marla Darling on Instagram. And Claire Apparently. Apparently attracted to sin. <laughs> Well, apparently, she's attracted to sin. (laughs) Welcome back to returning patron Jimmy Lewis. Welcome home, Jimmy. We missed you. Mary, like Jimmy said. Is Jimmy Lewis who she was referring to? Mary, like Jimmy said. Hello to new patron Allison King, who jumped up to one of our higher levels. Hi, Allison. Thank you so much. I would never laugh in the face of Allison King. (laughs) I'm laughing in the face of you, not laughing in the face of Allison King. Mm. Hello to new patron Danny Onchando. On the chant. On the chant. On the chant. On the chant. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining our Patreon. We appreciate you and we love you. Thank you. And finally, hello to Kevin Hardy, who jumped up to our highest level. Kevin Hardy. It's one hardy boy. This episode's for you. Boy so hardy. (laughs) Kevin so hardy. (laughs) Boy so hardy. I know a Kevin twice as hardy. I'm sure. Said I'm sure. Thank you to everyone, new patrons and continued patrons. You can subscribe to our Patreon if you're interested at patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos. Mm-hmm. Those classic Patreons. You're a car girl. You're a star girl. And of course, as always, a huge thank you to our librarian, our archivist, our historian, Shay Steinbeck. Mm. Have yourself a merry little Seamus. <laughs> Krishmesh. Here we are as in olden Shays. Happy golden Shays. Of your... Have your shelf a merry little Christmas. Yeah. Perfect. I think you should. I think we should. Nailed it. We deserve it. We're we having our shelves a merry little Christmas. After the year we've had. Thank you, Shay, for all that you do for the community and the show. And you're amazing. Mm. Here is the original. We can't start on this journey without playing the original. This is Judy Garland singing, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Have yourself a 
Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas was originally written by Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine and originally performed by Judy Garland in the film Meet Me in St. Louis. In Tori's catalog, it was originally released on April 20th, 1998 in the United Kingdom on the Spark CD single part one, also in Australia, Canada, Taiwan, Europe. And then again on June 9th, 1998 in the United States, there was only one Spark single in the United States. So it was on that. It also appeared on the compilations and soundtracks, Kevin and Bean's Last Christmas, listed as Christmas in Space, which I believe is the original title, and we'll get into that. That was released on November 30th, 1999. It was also released on Roswell, the TV series season three, episode nine in 2001. And in 2005, came out on the Bones soundtrack for season one, episode nine. Bones. Bones. Tori was right there in the middle of the year with the Spark single. Do you think she was celebrating Christmas late or early? I can't tell. I think that she had decided, they'd started recording it when? September? Yeah, August or September. Mm -hmm. And I think like right around then is when she decided what would be the B-sides or when she recorded it, probably. Her love of Judy Garland encouraged her, no, forced her to put it on the single. It would be interesting to know if this was part of her plan all along or because this is basically just piano with some kind of, you know, layered effects added in, which they could have done on their own without the band for sure. If she decided later, like in the actual Christmas season, if she was feeling Christmassy or sort of melancholy and went back in and recorded this in December or if she did it in September (laughs) as part of the proper recording. That's an interesting question. I always thought she did it alone around Christmas. That's just my instinct my inclination but i have no idea it always struck me as her alone in the studio being melancholy you think she wandered in one morning in her jam jams with like a christmas cosmo by herself and hit record yeah i think so yeah i feel like it was either an early morning or a late night definitely alone you know she has a setup and she's talked about it where she's able to just kind of hit record you know on her own like no one needs to be in the studio with her i don't know if it'd been set up at that Uh point (laughs) do you imagine tori's like a trained puppy who can press a button for a pellet to come out she's like i can do it myself i got a song coming heck yeah because it's hard like you can't really record yourself in a situation like she has you can't run into the control room and hit record so they have to have something for her Uh outside (laughs) treat so that's what i think happened honestly and i feel like maybe this is just the narrative i built around it as we were talking earlier but i think this was sort of a tribute to what she'd been through the year prior and how far she'd come from that 
you know Mm -hmm. that could be entirely made up in my mind but that's why i feel like she chose this song that's absolutely why i think we can declare that to be fact we've declared more with less (laughs) that's true (laughs) here's an interview with hugh martin from npr.org november 19th 2010 and hugh martin plays the song and sings the song and he's 90 when i'm 90 i'm hoping just to be able to walk myself to the bathroom well first of all i feel rather self-serving admitting this but Ralph didn't really write it, honey. Um, we wrote our song separately, so the, it's it's words and music by me. <laughs> oh, well, good. So now you're really able to tell the complete story. I can really tell the it. complete story. Um, Ralph was working in one room, and I was working in another on Meet Me in St. Louis. And uh, I played the first 16 bars of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas over and over and over and got stuck. I could not get... I couldn't find a bridge for it. And so I just put it aside and decided not to work on it. And Ralph, who had heard it through the through the walls, came to me the next day and said, whatever happened to that little madrigal-sounding uh, melody that you were playing? And I said, well, I couldn't make it work, Ralph, and so I discarded it. And he said, well, you find it and finish it, because I have a, have a big feeling about it. And so we did find it, and I did finish it. But the original version was so lugubrious that Judy Garland refused to sing it. She said, if I sing that to little Margaret O'Brien, they'll think I'm a monster. So I was, I was young then and kind of arrogant, and I, uh, I said, well, I'm sorry you don't like it, Judy, but that's the way it is, and I don't really want to write a new lyric. But Tom Drake, who played The Boy Next Door, took me aside and said, Hugh, you've got to finish it. It's really a great song, potentially, and I think you'll be sorry if you don't do it. So I went home and wrote uh, the, the, the version that's in the, uh, in the movie. Should we get to the quotes? Yeah. All right, this is from The Independent UK, December 19th, 2003. Someone asked Tori, what are your favorite Christmas songs? And she says, the pianist George Winston did an album called December that I really love. It's just solo piano, and he's doing versions of The Holly and the Ivy and Carol of the Bells. It's done beautifully. The only Christmas song I've covered is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. It wasn't for radio or anything, which, given that it came out in February, was just as well. Um, it came out in April. <laughs> Maybe she finalized it in February. Yeah. Can we also point out um, the holes in Tori's memory, as per usual? The only Christmas song I've ever covered is Have Yourself a Merry except for Little Drummer Boy, which was officially right. released on several things. Exactly. It's like the only Christmas song I've ever covered is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, right after I recorded Cooling in Martian Studios <laughs> during the Choir Girl sessions. Yeah, I wonder why that is, why she doesn't remember something like that. I mean, maybe because... They recorded it live, and she really put no effort into it in terms of, like, mixing, mastering, things like that. She's played many, many things live, so how can you remember every last thing? I suppose, and maybe by that she means studio versions that most people would know or be, that Mm. would be accessible to more people, since this is an interview with a major publication. She's not going to be talking about deep cut, obscure live tracks. Right. I think that's it. My finger is on my nose. Mm-hmm. We'll give her some credit. Why don't you read this from Vulture Magazine, November 11th, 2009. I remember driving to North Carolina when I was a little girl in a snowstorm to get down to my mom's family in the Carolinas. There were chains on the car. It was the late 60s, and we were just singing in the car Christmas carols. And it was one of those things where of all the music that my dad turned me on to, the Christmas carols are what I related to a lot more than any religious music that the Methodists were pushing. Why do you suppose that is? I think that's true of a lot of people, even if people don't consider themselves religious 
religious in any way, a lot of people still celebrate Christmas and love Christmas carols. There's a warmth and kind of comfort to it. So I don't think that's surprising that she would respond to that as opposed to, you know, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing <laughs> that banger. Yay, God. It's a great prayer. Let's talk about this song as a precursor to Midwinter Graces, because that quote was from Vulture magazine in 2009, which was 11 years after this song came out. And it seems like her approach to Christmas music had changed or to holiday music had changed, because as a whole, if you look at Midwinter Graces later down the line, everything is pretty straightforward. I know when you're pushing a holiday album, nobody wants the holiday blues. No one's you can't sell the holiday blues. It comes for free. But this song and that album are very different. And even like Little Drummer Boy, too. I feel Little Drummer Boy has a, I wouldn't say a sadness, but a deep reverence. <laughs> There's something complex in Little Drummer Boy, too. Mm. Play Tori. Oh my gosh, that woman. I forgot. Play Tori. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm playing for you. Play Tori. I love that we were so into Tori that we were just like waiting for that piano solo during a cover of Little Drummer Boy like she was, you know, Led Zeppelin or Jimi Hendrix or something, which is exactly who she wanted to be on the piano. But we were like, oh, shit. Yeah, she's going to wreck Little Drummer Boy. Can you believe it? Play Tori. Mm. Play Tori. <laughs> yeah. But any thoughts on the difference? Midwinter Graces is a lot more accessible. Well, I think like a lot of artists and people in general, we mellow with age and kind of come back around to traditions or even faith that we've railed against when we were younger. So I think it makes sense that at this point in her life, meaning 2009, when she did Midwinter Graces, she went with something more traditional and was embracing the holiday in her own way and kind of acknowledging, I don't know, let's say pagan roots as Tori is wont to do and the origin of carols but also not like sort of rejecting Christianity outright and doing a version of like happy birthday Jesus God sometimes you just don't come through like she's doing kind of straight ahead covers of Jeanette Isabella or whatever and the holly and the ivy Mm -hmm. which it's interesting to hear her talk about that in that quote from 2003 six years before. I guess we'd already gotten Tori's kind of transgressive Christmas carol in the form of Muhammad, my friend, too. Yeah, that's a good point. When she's like, you know, I was in the back of that church running my hands through my hair as that children's choir was singing Away in a Manger, and I was like, oh, we both know it was girl. It's so weird how much she owes to traditional Christmas music or to traditional hymns or traditional Christian music. I don't find that so much present anymore, but like definitely in the first four or five albums, four albums, three, two, definitely Little Earth Wakes Down to the Pink. <laughs> um, but Boys for Pele, you're right about Muhammad, my friend. Mm-hmm. This is from Last FM Radio 2009. This is some random questions about her family, holiday traditions, etc. If you like this, you can listen back to it when we get to the Midwinter Graces season because we're sure to play it again then. Well, all kinds of things get me into the holiday spirit. Singing. You hear people singing, whether it's people, um, little groups or choirs that are outside singing. Um, Also, I have to say, the decorations, this is where the visual artists gift us. We don't even know it sometimes, the energy that people have put in to these beautiful creations that you see. New York obviously is one of the most magical cities um, at, at the holiday season. But there are other cities too. And 
I love it that on the street where we are in Florida, people put lights around their houses. And my husband's in his mind has gotten very competitive this year. He's thinking, you know, I'm going to do all kinds of things and has been collecting lights since last year. And I'm thinking, this, this is a little nuts. I, we don't need to compete with these people. But he's British, and I think he finds it all very amusing, this whole American light fest that happens. But we drive around. Tash loves driving around and looking at the different lights. And hot chocolate and all those kinds of drinks that you have. It's just so many things that make you feel, wow, there's nothing like this time of year. Do you know that this song is not streaming available because it's only on the Spark single and it never appears again in her catalog? Mm -hmm. Do you realize that it's not streaming anywhere on Spotify or iTunes for purchase? Isn't that horrifying? It is horrifying and it kind of makes sense because I will forever pair this and Purple People and we discovered that the original studio version of Purple People is also not streaming because it was only included on Spark and on everything subsequent it was the soundcheck version from Venus. You bring up a good point. It is impossible to separate the two. Mm -hmm. They are very linked in my mind as well. And it's because they both, they don't sound similar, but they live in the same world. They're obviously part of McThirsty's Lounge, the last stop on the Kvorstendam, Uh (laughs) you know, but not only that, but they are really closely, they don't sound alike, but they feel alike. The sax sample at the beginning of Purple People and then the sounds in Christmas in Space go together. Mm -hmm. If you put both of these songs on a Christmas mix, I wouldn't bat an eye when Purple People came on. I know. Let's talk about the title because I have transgressively started calling it Christmas in Space. And it took everything I had not to call it that at the beginning of this show. Yeah. It's Christmas in Space. You mean Tori took it upon herself to rename a classic song with her own title and take credit for it? She did it before. With what? Somewhere Over the Rainbow is just over the rainbow. Oh, that... <laughs> That's true. (laughs) So she's doing what she wants to do. Mm -hmm. This is her world and we're just living in it. We're just podcasting in it. This is T's world where it's always Christmas. I think that she would have done that. I think that she is saying this is her Christmas in space. By the way, it's have yourself a merry little Christmas. That's what I like. Mick is not called that's what I like. Mick. It's called that's what I like. So she does what she wants. She does do what she wants. Mick is Mark. Are we going to have another moment where we break our community, as Jason Silver put it, into teams? Are you team parentheses or not parentheses? Because I always imagine that the original title was Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, parentheses, Christmas in Space. And you think it's just Christmas in Space. No, I think it's Christmas in Space, parentheses, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And the reason I think that is because after doing extensive research, as we discussed in the last episode, Tori, what she said, and then the evidence being that it does appear on Kevin and Bean's last Christmas as Christmas in space. And what you said last time was because they didn't have room. I feel like if they didn't have room, they would take out what was in the parentheses. Or maybe she didn't even present it to them with parentheses because she was calling it Christmas in Mm. space. But by the way, it's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. But who knows? I mean, we'll never know. And again, it's the greatest misprint in Tori Amos history. But you're team H-Y-A-M-L-C? Yes. Rolls right off the tongue. Yes, and I'm team CIS. Uh-huh. I'm cis, baby. Team CIS. You're a cis Christmas. Team cis. Cis Christmas. <laughs> cis Christmas. We did it in space. 
And I don't like to split our community into teams, but I want to address that comment from our wonderful friend and supporter, Jason Silver. I don't want to split us into teams. I want to bring us together by having discussion topics and nothing brings the community together than like firmly believing something and being passionate about it. I'm trying to reignite our passion for 98 Tori Amos. As if it ever dimmed. Exactly. But you're right. We're united in passionate debate, not divided by disagreements. Exactly. And if there are no debate topics, what are we talking about? Nothing. Nothing. So I don't care if you are team H-Y-A-M-L-C or team C-I-S. I just care that you pick a side. We just care that you have a fiery opinion about Tori Amos B-sides from 1998. That's all we care about. You must pick a side. Can I ask you a question about why Christmas in Space? Yes. Why she made that? Why? Well, I'm going to do it <laughs> right now. Here it comes. Ooh. Ready for launch. Thank you for the warning. <laughs> what do you think informed that decision? And obviously there's kind of a spacey sound to the cover, but do you think Christmas in Space was a nod to the way she felt? Do you think this was more so a nod to Martian Studios, which was brand new at the time, and they were getting into all this like spacey intergalactic language that carried through to Venus, for sure? They were like, we got Martian Studios in Cornwall, let's take Christmas to space. Do you think it was more that and kind of a tech obsession, or again, trying to capture the way she felt, like adrift in a zero-gravity situation? So we have three options on the table, the way she felt, the way it sounds, or where it was recorded. What you're bringing up there is actually really interesting to me because I've never considered the third option, that Martian engineering, of course, when you're in Martian engineering, you could call it space. And maybe that's where her space obsession was born. Mm -hmm. I have always looked at Christmas in space, even when it was attached to purple people before I knew the truth, before I knew the truth. When it was attached to purple people, it's such an important moment in her career because it is the launching pad if you will, from Choir Girl to Venus because she does go to space, right? And it doesn't happen in Choir Girl. It happens in between. And there's always an in-between. You have Butterfly before Pele. You have Siren before Choir Girl. And then you have Christmas in space before Venus, whether it's Purple People or it's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. I've always taken it as how it sounds and also where her head was at. You know when you're catatonic? There's something so catatonic to me about the song. Yeah. Like she's kind of numb or she's just... I don't know. And maybe with the sound of how sad she sounds, mm-hmm. I've always taken it to be a mixture of how she felt and how it sounded. But I never thought of because it was recorded at Martian Engineering. That's really eye opening. I love the way you put that in terms of it sounding catatonic. And I totally agree with that. And that kind of persistent throb or hum that starts the song also sounds like a distress signal to me kind of being, you know, broadcast from deep in space. That vibration. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. I don't know how else to describe it other than it sounds like a transmission of some kind, which I think is kind of what the intention was. Yeah. And I feel like how she's singing too, not that she was, but I felt like she was so old. Like I pictured her in a rocking chair, just kind of like looking back at her life in some sad way. Do you picture her as Winona Ryder at the beginning and end of Edward Scissorhands? Like she's <laughs> old so, with the yeah. snow falling out the window yeah. and she's like, oh, snuggle and tight, sweetie. We're going to sing. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Less active than that. Just kind of like unable to move and just like has been frozen in time. Mm, yeah. And that's also how I pictured her in our new year. I get the same mental image for both, even though they sound nothing alike. I get the same like image of like looking back on your life with sadness. 
Me too. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and throw Circle of Seasons on there again. Specifically the line, stay with me so that neither of us can forget. No, I'm going to cry now. (laughs) So you stand firmly planted that it's have yourself a merry little Christmas, parentheses Christmas in space. I do. I have deep roots. I'm planting myself. That is the hill I'm going to die on. Team verb, parentheses. We both have parentheses in our options. So it can't be team parentheses. It's very confusing. Not as confusing as team CIS versus HY, whatever it is. It's HYAMLC. HYAMLC. Why is that difficult? Team HYAMLC. All right. Well, I stand firmly rooted in Christmas in space. It just makes sense to me. There's something about it that just makes sense to me. So I will be referring to this song as Christmas in Space from here to the time that I die. All right. So, <laughs> and let it be printed on my grave. Let it be printed on the wall that is erected in my honor. Team Noun, Team Band, and Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas was Christmas in Space the whole time. Mm-hmm. That's what I want printed on my wall. <laughs> I guess I don't need a monument like that because my entire life is a monument to my mistakes. I don't need it literally engraved in stone. Are you calling all of those mistakes? Well... <laughs> Should we get to the line by line? Let's go caroling. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. There are things about the song that you know that I don't know. You don't know, but I know in Pip Voice. So why don't you inform our listeners? Okay. The breadth of your Christmas knowledge. Okay. Well, Obviously, the song has been covered many, many times, and there are some variations in the lyrics, particularly at the end. Depending on which version you're listening to, we can either get Until Then We'll Have to Muddle Through Somehow or Hang a Shining Star Upon the Highest Bow. Wait a second. A spit take? That is the lyric from the original version as it appeared in Meet Me in St. Louis. And when Frank Sinatra covered the song, he didn't want it to be so melancholy and depressing. So they rewrote it to accommodate that and it became Hang a Shining Star Upon the Highest Bow. So Tori went with that version. Here's a little more from the NPR interview we played earlier that Shay found, where Hugh Martin goes into detail about these lyric changes. You said that the first version was lugubrious. What made the lyrics lugubrious? <laughs> well, I'll sing it for you. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. Next year we may all be living in the past. <laughs> Pretty sad. I felt that last Christmas. Me too. And I think, you know, that's sort of informed by the storyline of the movie where this family is separated and kind of wondering when they're going to be reunited. But that doesn't really lend itself to an evergreen Christmas carol or Christmas classic that we're going to be singing for years to come. So, But you changed that lyric, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I, the one in the movie was, uh, let's see, have yourself a middle of Christmas. Oh, until then we all will be together if the fates allow until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. That was one that was in the movie. Then I got a phone call from Frank Sinatra saying, I'm doing an album called A Jolly Christmas, and I love your song, but it's just not very jolly. Do you think you could jolly it up a little bit for me? So then I wrote the line about, have you hang a shining star upon the highest bow? And Frank liked that and recorded it. And, and people, they do sometimes they do that line, and sometimes they do the muddle through some line somehow. I like the muddle through one. I like the muddle through one better too. I love the word muddle. 
Muddle, yes. Well, let's dissect the lyrics as Tori herself hand-selected each lyric. Do you think there was a drop-down menu for each lyric as she was crafting the song? Mm -hmm. I'll go with Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Not This May Be Your Last. Right. Which is already funny to me because the song sounds so sad that it's funny that it could have been sadder. Yes, and I'll just throw out there too, one of the other original lyrics was, Faithful friends who are dear to us will be near to us no more. No more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye forever. Goodbye forever. Mary Chrysler. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. How do you feel about the line, let your heart be light? I kind of love that because I think a lot of us feel compelled to give in to Christmas cheer and just be happy no matter what and kind of buy into it. But sometimes you're just not in that place. So it's like, let your heart be light. Let it happen. No, what if I don't want to? It's difficult to allow yourself to release your troubles. And so let your heart be light is putting the onus on you to not cheer up as it were, but like take a moment to, you know, we have troubles, but let's remember the good stuff. Mm -hmm. And the world does slow down that time of year. So it is a good time to put concerns to the side as we all tend to do like, Oh, I'll worry about that after new year's. It's like, what can you do now? You got a week left. Yeah. <laughs> Forget about it. Everything is closed. I'm not getting out of my pajamas. Otherwise known as the year 2020. From now on, our troubles will be old. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Well, that's a nice dream. Yeah. And do you think that's what it is? Like, I will speak it and make it so, but I don't actually believe that right now. Well, it's kind of a plea or a prayer. The way Tori sings it, I feel like it's a plea and a prayer, I guess. Mm. From now on, our troubles will be out I don't know who she's pleading with, but it does feel like a plea. I guess the whole song feels like a plea, if I think about it. What about this idea, from now on, our troubles will be out of sight? And what about this idea that every year at the holidays, we're expected to let our heart be light, and we're expected to let our troubles be out of sight? Right. Like, what if you got real troubles, you know? If you can't pay your rent, for example, forgetting about it for the Christmas season's not going to do you any good, mm. you know? I don't know that this song was written necessarily with that in mind, clearly, but I don't think it addresses necessarily those troubles, but... Well, I think that's why she chose this song, and it captures that feeling so perfectly. Like, we have to believe she was in deep grief and mourning, surrounded by fake snow, probably, and carolers, and painted windows, feeling compelled to be happy and cheerful, because everything in the world is telling you that that's how you're supposed to be, and you're going through this horrible yeah. situation, so... And if we fast forward a year to Christmas 97, she's about to get married... You know, and if earlier in that quote in 2003, she said she released it in February, maybe that's when she actually recorded it. And if then she recorded it in February, she's just been married, you know? Mm -hmm. So recording this, what to us sounds like a sad song, and maybe we it's because we spent our teen years crafting a narrative, but 
Maybe she was. This is her saying, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this sad little Christmas song the happiest Christmas song you've ever heard. What if that's on her mind? I don't think it was. Maybe not. <laughs> but still, there's good and bad, and I like. I mean, I do like that for a moment, forgetting your troubles and just letting the light in. Let your heart be light, as opposed to dark. Instead of light versus heavy, mm-hmm. let your heart be light. Mm-hmm. Instead of let your heart be dark. I like that reading of it better than let your heart be heavy, light. And the way she sings that too, from now on our troubles will be out of sight. She kind of trails off with a sight. I'm not convinced that she believes that either, you know, as she's vocalizing it. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds she's it sounds like she's very troubled. But isn't that the most heartbreaking thing too, is when someone very troubled puts on a brave face, you know, and like decides that they're going to like take another step out into the light. It's like beautiful. It's like really even more meaningful. It is. And you can even see it around Christmas. Like I'm going to put my hair up and go to that party, even though that's the last thing I want to do right now. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. There's a video on YouTube. Someone put like different Tory videos together to make a video for this song. And at this part right here, have yourself, ooh, Merry Little Christmas. It's the moment from Pretty Good Year where she's in like interpretive dance and it just does not fit that moment. Uh And it just makes me laugh every time. Flapping her arms Um, behind her. Yeah, exactly. Is that Tory making the Yuletide gay? It is. It is, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, let's talk about making the Yuletide gay. And let's talk about how words can have different meanings. What's the gayest Yuletide you've ever had? (laughs) Probably the year we recorded this podcast sitting in front of your Christmas tree. That's the gayest Yuletide you've had? It was like a year-long gay Yuletide. Talking about Tori Amos with two gays sitting in front of a Christmas tree, yeah. Oh, yeah, because I had the Christmas tree up for 16 months? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I thought you meant gay because it was decorated with condoms and lube packets. No, it was not. Should have been. Should have been. What a good I can make the Yuletide gayer. Watch me. (laughs) Those are my two least favorite words for things. Yuletide is my least favorite word for Christmas, and gay is my least favorite word for happy. (laughs) Why do you hate Yuletide? Uh, Yuletide? Yeah. Yuletide? What about Christmastide? Come on. Christmastide. Now, that's something I can get behind. Uh Uh-huh. Yuletide? Christmas tide. You know, I'm thinking of that meme, that meme where the with girl the face, is like, yes. <laughs> yeah, where she's like, oh, and then she's like, huh. How did we not make that last year? This year we will. Yes. All our troubles will be out of sight and you'll get that meme, everybody. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't beat us to the punch. Why can't Tori meme, please? But we love you. Yeah. From now on, our troubles will be miles away. From now on, our troubles will be miles away. Well, now we can assign an actual distance to how far out of sight they'll be, several miles away. A million miles away because it's Christmas in space. At least a million light years even. If you think about this being recorded on the cusp of her getting married or even after her getting married, from now on it takes on a whole nother meaning. From now on. I love that you're turning this also into a wedding song. I can't separate this from her experience, and I I have spent my whole life thinking that this was one thing, but if I'm truly examining it and truly examining what was going on when she was recording it, I guess you can be sad and happy, and I guess you can be stepping into this new experience in your life, but also paying homage to what you've been through. Yeah. Here we are, as an olden days, 
guys in olden days, happy golden days of yore. The hell? Well, <laughs> the hell, Tori? <laughs> <laughs> this must have auto-filled in the drop-down menu. <laughs> you know, obviously for most people, there's a lot of nostalgia around Christmas, and it can remind you of your childhood or the past or whatever it is, good or bad. So I think that's all captured here. Yeah. What is happy golden days of yore? Like when we were all carefree Yeah. in the olden days. The olden days were the golden days, oldies but goodies. And for the most part, we all romanticize the past, and we probably remember it as being better than it actually was. I don't. You don't? I'm very clear. I remember everything. (laughs) No, I don't romanticize the past when it comes to the holidays. But again, I've never had like a traditionally happy, I guess is the word, traditionally happy holiday experience. So... (laughs) I'm glad that your mother's redoing her cookie party for me because she's the only thing I look forward to in the Christmas season. No. Do you think you romanticize the past as it concerns Tori Amos? Like a Tori Christmas? No, just Tori in general. No, romanticize it. I guess define romanticize as we're discussing it. Like if we went back to the Dewdrop In tour as ourselves now, would it be as good as we remember it to be? Or are we looking at it through that lens of nostalgia and life experience? Like, oh, remember when? I think we're looking at it through that lens of nostalgia, but I also don't think we're romanticizing it because it was amazing. And as we're reexamining all her tracks and like we're here each time, we're saying like, this is so fucking good still. And everything that she, like, there's no way to romanticize it. We're holding it up for what it was, you know? I think. What do you think? You're right. It's safe to say at this point, 25 years in, we're not in a honeymoon phase with Tori. Like, we're in it. Right. 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 (laughs) Exactly. Like, what are you talking about? I'm just checking. I'm just checking. There is no more romance, but the songs are still good. Like, the Do Drop In tour was, in fact, as amazing as we remember, and there are YouTube videos to prove it. Well, you know, here's the thing. If we went back as ourselves now, never having heard we would probably be more like our parents. Like, that redheaded girl's really laying it all out there. I think about that all the time, and it's kind of disturbing to me. Really? Like, if all else being equal, like, Tori had the same career that she had, but for whatever reason, I did not hear her music until today. I don't know how I would respond to it at the age and at the point in my life I am now. Would I like it? Hearing today's music or hearing back then's music? Let's say I woke up today and I had never heard Tori Amos before. And someone gave me a copy of Boys for Pele and I was hearing it for the first time. What would I think about it hearing it now for the first time as opposed to hearing it for the first time when I was 17 years old? I don't think you'd be into it, honestly. I don't think so either. (laughs) As long as you know yourself. Because I find that like if I'm looking at music today that the kids are showing me, maybe because as you get older, you become a little bit more guarded or wizened. I feel like uh, she was very raw and I, you know very raw. I would still like it. I still like raw things, but do I? Because there are musicians today who are laying it all out there that I'm like, why are you doing what's happening? It's making me uncomfortable. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with Tori and like the quality of her work, obviously, but for period, no matter who you are, you just don't respond to things the same way you do at 17 later in life. So no, it's true. Because when you are 17, nobody understands you. And when someone does, when someone speaks your heart for the first time, it sticks. 
this with you forever. Mm -hmm. And I don't think one necessarily needs to become jaded as one gets older, but you do collect experiences. So it's harder to, let's say, blow your mind. Yeah. I threw myself all into Tori. I loved her and that was it. I was 100%. People associated me with Tori in high school. People associated me with everything Tori my whole life. Every song, every album, you know, everything. Every tour, every show. So If Tori had jumped off a bridge, would you have done it too? Yep, for sure. Yes. I would have done it to hopefully save her. (laughs) Faithful friends who are dear to us Gather near to us once more I love her delivery on that once more yeah me too this is our tagline for 2021 summer yeah at the precinct gather near to me once more sisters that's my tagline tori delivers it like she's really sharing a pivotal secret or bit of information like gather near to us and we're like when when will they and she's like once more (laughs) she kind of sounds like bjork there no once everything yeah she does once she gets like a little pixie. I guess this is a, a reference just to gathering at the holidays, right? Or I don't know if you have that experience, but for me, for sure, there are people who I only see at Christmas. And that's probably true more so for people who've maybe moved away from where they grew up, which I haven't. But, you know, you go home for the holidays and you reconnect with people. Like we do that once a year. See you next time. <laughs> Through the years, we all will be together if the fates allow. Fingers crossed. Hang a shining star upon the highest bough. The hell is a bough? Tree branch. What is the tradition of putting a star at the top of the tree? I don't know if it symbolizes anything other than it's just a finishing touch. Yeah, but someone had to come up with it. What is the tradition of a Christmas tree? Where does that come from? Why do we put ornaments on a tree? (laughs) Well, we could pull up some history of the Christmas tree, but I think it originated again, as most holiday traditions do, as let's say a pagan thing, a solstice thing, to bring in an evergreen tree to acknowledge that, you know, kind of the cycle of life and that life goes on Mm. and that an evergreen tree doesn't die and retreat like other plant life does. Unless you kill it and put it in your house. Well, yeah. Well, you got to put it in water and give it sugar. Do you really have to give a tree sugar? Well, you should. Sugar? Sugar water. That's like what Christmas tree food is. And you know what? Here's a life hack. Just pour a little ginger ale in it. Any clear sugary soda, 7-Up or ginger ale, you don't have to buy the stuff from the tree farm. What about watermelon sugar water? Probably not. Have yourself a And have yourself a merry little Christmas now. Starting now. 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 Tori Allen. But it's April, Tori. Now. I said now. Now. Well, I'm happy for her. I'm happy for everybody. (laughs) I'd be so happy that everyone's having a great Christmas. Now. Now. What's your favorite lyrical moment in this song? 
through the years we all will be together if the fates allow i totally buy into the nostalgia and kind of melancholy warmth of christmas and i think we have to acknowledge that things change you know our family christmas traditions for example have evolved recently and things aren't always going to look the same in life so whenever you're having an experience i think it's important to kind of stop and acknowledge it because you take it for granted that you're going to have it again but you might not or at the very least it might not look the same so i think this song captures that perfectly and kind of gives us the opportunity to really be present with something and not let a moment slip past how about you you know, I've never really looked at this song in terms of lyrics because I know that she didn't write them. Um, it's all been always about the vocal performance to me for her. But looking at these lyrics now, I think I'm going to have to either go with Let Your Heart Be Light. It's about letting it happen. It's about letting that in. So that's one that I like. And also faithful friends who are dear to us gather near to us once more. In terms of holiday traditions, I'm more friends than family that I spend time with. And I also like this as a beacon for hope because that's kind of what we were hoping for through the last year was to be able to gather near once more. So that's just kind of hitting me today. What's your favorite vocal moment? Well, we've already kind of pointed out we love how she delivers that once in her kind of Bjorky way. Once. I'll go with the end of Hang a Shining Star Upon the Highest Bow and Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas Now. She really kind of lets her voice break and be a she little... She does. I love how she crests that peak. Yeah. She lets it be imperfect in an emotive way. And at this mm-hmm. point in her career, she was about that performance in the studio and not about perfection. So I love that moment. Yeah, you said it perfectly that she was about the performance rather than perfection. And which also tells me, for some reason, it goes hand in hand with my thought that she recorded this alone, either before or after, but just kind of by herself. And at the end, treat. Now we should listen to Yanta. Okay. Just that first bright note, I can almost see like the Christmas star. I love this because even just the piano, her arrangement sounds chilly to me, which evokes both winter and space. feel like she pulled a little bit from her days at the Marriott. Yeah, this is very traditional, Mm -hmm. I guess.
Are we in agreement that this was a one take? Or do you think that she worked on it multiple? I could see this being one take and her not being too fussed about it. Like, let me just let it be what it is. Yeah. That was pleasant. I'm a sucker for it, Eve. That did the trick for me. I feel like we're, you know, sitcoms tape their Christmas episodes way before Christmas and they have to like get in the spirit. Same with us. We're doing our Christmas episode in the spring and now I'm ready. Get my Santa hat. Should I not release it till Christmas then? Like the sitcoms? No. You do you. You do Tori. She put out Spark with this cover in April. We'll do the same. This was Yanta, his cover, his instrumental cover of Christmas in Space. You can support Yanta on patreon.com slash Yanta. And he deserves it. He's done every Tori Amos song, I believe. If you also are a huge fan of sheet music, head over to figuretoryout.com. That's our friend Paul Roy's site. He was the moderator for a Yahoo group called Figure Tori Out. Everybody would submit their own transcriptions of sheet music, and he's compiled the 20 years in that Yahoo group when they shut it down. He compiled all 20 years of that stuff and put it on figuretoryout.com. You have to be a member, but it's free to be a member, so go over there as well. I should learn to play piano. There's all these resources available. It's never too late. I don't want to. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Every year, people all across the globe celebrate the Christmas season with all sorts of lights and decorations. But no holiday decoration is more iconic than the Christmas tree. But have you ever wondered why do we decorate trees to celebrate Christmas? Let's find out on today's episode of Colossal Questions. Most historians agree that the very first Christmas tree was decorated over 1,300 years ago in modern-day Germany. As the old story goes, an English missionary named Saint Boniface traveled to Germany in the 700s. While in Germany, he came across a group of Norse pagans who were preparing to make a sacrifice to a sacred oak tree. Boniface stopped the sacrifice by cutting down the oak tree with one swing of an axe. And according to the legend, a fir tree sprang up in the spot where the oak tree had been standing. Now, that story is just an old legend. St. Boniface never really cut down a tree, and a fir tree never really sprung up instantly in its place. But what is true is that the Christmas tree is a melding of pagan and Christian traditions. Okay, so that's where the Christmas tree comes from, but how did it go from a story about a fir tree to lights and ornaments in our living room? Well, it started to take shape during the Middle Ages, when churches began decorating living fir trees with apples on Christmas Eve. They didn't call them Christmas trees yet, though. Back then, they were known as paradise trees. By the mid-1500s, people started adding lit candles to the fir trees to go with the apples. Slowly but surely, the Christmas tree as we know it today was starting to take shape. 
It wasn't until 1841 that Christmas trees became widely known outside of Germany. That's because Queen Victoria of England married a German prince named Albert. That winter, he began the custom of decorating a large Christmas tree at the Queen's castle. In those days, Queen Victoria wasn't just a queen, she was also a fashion icon. So everything she did became fashionable. So after a print was published of the queen and her family in front of their decorated fir tree, Christmas trees became all the rage across the Western world. In the United States, Christmas trees were mostly just decorated by German immigrants who came to the U.S. and lived in places like Pennsylvania. It wasn't until the invention of the electric light that Christmas trees really took off in America. People across the country loved it, and just like that, the modern Christmas tree was born. Let's listen to this cover of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by Nora Jones. On the line, we have Mixie from the East Coast. She's a poet, she's a writer, and she's a Tori Amos fan, and a Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas super fan. Hi, Mixie. Hi. How are you? I am so good. How are you today? I'm great. I'm, I'm frankly shocked that there is a Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas super fan. <laughs> I definitely want to get into that. But I want to hear first how you discovered Tori. Tell us your Tori story. Oh, great. I will, quick. 1991, I put on VH1, and there was this video with this pretty girl singing really pretty, and I was like, who is this pretty girl? (laughs) And I'm like, Tori Amos, silent all these years. What a pretty song. Maybe I should get her album. And there you have it. (laughs) Wow. Okay. You're old school. 
I am. I'm old, too. Right. I love it. <laughs> I discovered Tori in the Little Earthquakes era as well, and there's something so special about that, that we watched her grow up. Oh, my gosh. And what was your first song? Was it Silent, Silent All, All These Years? Yeah, I was watching Much Music Canada. Uh, yes, that's always our first song mm-hmm. with Tori, isn't it? Mm-hmm. For me, Silent All These Years was sort of logged in my brain, and then about six months later or so, I was going through like some used CDs at our first ever used CD store in my town, and I saw her in the box, and I was like, oh, on the cover of Little Earthquakes, and I was like, it's that girl. I Oh, my God. And it just unlocked how much I'd loved that video. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I know. Yes. It, it was just so, it spoke to your inner emotions in a way that uh, in 91, I was like, what, 12, 13? But I didn't, you know, I didn't realize I had emotions until I saw her, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so what were you up to in 1998 when this came out? Uh, let's see. I was 20. Your first 20 years of life are so uh, distraught, right? <laughs> <laughs> so wild. Yeah. I was just working crappy retail jobs and just enjoying life being a slacker, a Gen X slacker. Mm. Why have yourself a Merry Little Christmas? You saw this single, you picked up the single, or how did you hear this song? What what makes this song special to you? Uh, that song, I, I'm not even religious. I, I, I grew up mixed. So we always celebrated both. But I love music. I don't care if it's religious or not. And there are some deeply religious songs that, not that this is religious, but it's one of those, you know, solemn Christmas songs. And I I always liked the tune. And um, when I first heard Tori, you know, she has that phasing spaciness in it. I had just worked at Tower Records for like a year before that, and I made sure I got every Tory everything mm-hmm. that ever came out. Mm-hmm. And I dated someone in a music store at that time, and I made sure I got all the Tory collectibles. So I pretty much have everything from the 90s, like books and singles, still hard copies because it's my Tory animal. And did you just fall in love with it right away? I did. It's so heartfelt and so slow and all about friendships. And it makes me sentimental because I love my friends and my family. And I'm a cancer. We're all about domestic bliss. My gosh, it just makes me cry every time. To me, it's the most serious Christmas song for me. Mm -hmm. Like, every Christmas, I'll listen to my, you know, playlist. But on Christmas Eve, I have to listen to December Will Be Magic by Kate Bush and... Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Oh, yeah. Great pairing. Thank you. Right. She's my other favorite. And, you know, I have to be cheesy and and, <laughs> and be in love with life. And, you know, it, it just I don't know. It's just it's so warm and fuzzy. And it, it's not a Tori Amos song, but it is a Tori Amos song. Cause yeah. She put her own, you know, Tori. She puts all her own in everything. And the the phasing and the slow piano, it's just she just riffs on the song almost. It's like she might have you know arranged it, but she just kind of played it one day. I think I don't know how much she practiced when she right, did like that. it just kind of came to her, like she just felt it in the moment. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, every December I get so emotional over that song. I'm like, oh. Do you find that you only listen to that song around the holidays? um, Or do you seek it out at other times? You know, I sing it to myself sometimes. And that um, mostly it's just December. After Christmas hits, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I go in um, weird phases. Like after midnight on December 25th, I'm like, okay, 
I got I got that fixed. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. How does this song compare for you to her Solstice album, Midwinter Graces? Oh, I love Midwinter Graces so much. Um, well, Midwinter Graces is is very put together and produced and very clean sounding, um, and it's beautiful. It's poetry to me. I I listen to the album every year as well. I have a New Year's Eve playlist, and um, Pink and Glitter is definitely on it. Oh, yeah. Um, Good. I love that one, right? But Have Yourself a Merry Christmas seems more early 90s raw Tory to me. Like, yeah. I like a more raw sound. It might be because I'm old. I don't know. And I'm a, you know, but give me someone's first album, like where they're scratchy and punky and raw and just, ah. If you had to encapsulate your entire love for this song into one moment, what would be your favorite moment or your favorite thing about this song? Through the years, we all will be together. Then she goes, if the fates allow. You know, and then she crescendos into hang a shining star into the highest bow. And then, you know, she carries the note a few different times. And it's just, that's when it all hits me. That's when the star explodes, you know? Yeah, for sure. That's definitely my favorite part of the song as well. Thank you for being on our show and talking a little bit about the song. I'm so surprised because I didn't think we would have a super fan for this song, but I'm glad that there is one out there holding the torch for Christmas all year long. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful tradition. <laughs> You can find Mixie on Twitter at Silly Sage. That's S-Y-L-E-E-S-A-G-E. So give her a follow there. Mixie actually wrote us several years ago. So I'm glad that we're finally to the song that you asked for. Oh, yeah, that was, no, hey, I am patient, especially when it comes to Tori. No, I just, I, I think this is so sweet. And I'm so glad I got that email. And I was like, yes, I remember. Of course I want to do it. Yay. I'm, <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad we could make it happen. Excellent. And thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Let's listen to this cover of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by Mac DeMarco. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Delighted to welcome back Gary Horrocks. Gary is a Judy Garland superfan. He puts us to shame with his level of detail and his level of attention, just his level of standum. Hi, Gary. It's so good to have you back. 
Oh, it's lovely to have you back. It's great to talk to you. And congratulations on the Academy Awards this evening. Thank you. Thank you. I, I can't wait to see what I win. I can't wait to see what I take home. You are the world's leading Judy Garland expert. Can you tell us a little bit about your Judy Garland club at Judy Garland club on Twitter? Check it out, everybody. I wouldn't say I'm a leading expert. But I would. Um, I've, <laughs> I've been heading her fan club for many years since the early 1990s. Uh, her club has been going since 1963. And Judy was alive then and was the honorary president. And it's uh, thrived over the years. You know, we've had good times, bad times. And we, we continue to have an internet presence. And I'm currently working on a special magazine in honor of the original founder of the club, Lorna Smith, who died um, last year. And, you know, we, we've uh, religiously preserved so many memories and anecdotes from our fans about Garland over the years. And it's a great joy to be involved, really, in something so special and something of historical value, which I think the club really does have in terms of its archive and its beautiful magazine, which was originally the Rainbow Review, which uh, was going since 63, which is now called Judy Garland, a celebration. Yep. There we go. <laughs> right. You schooled us on everything over the rainbow last time you were on pre-pandemic. I can't even believe it's been that long. Now yeah. you're here to school us on have yourself a merry little Christmas. We've learned already that there were alternate lyrics and gloomier lyrics even. Uh, and that wasn't it. It was Frank Sinatra who was like, nah, make it happier. That's what we've learned. But what I want to learn from you is what the fans think of it and your perspective on all of it. Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, let's park Frank Sinatra for, the se for a second. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas was written especially for Judy Garland for her 1944 movie, Meet Me in St. Louis. And there were many other great songs in that movie, you know, obviously, including Meet Me in St. Louis and uh, the trolley song. But Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas was a vehicle especially for Garland. And I bore people to death because every time it comes on the radio at Christmas and it's been sung by everybody, I think it's one of the most popular American songs, one of the many popular American Christmas songs of all time. They never play the Garland version. They always play <laughs> Ella Fitzgerald or Doris Day. But the great story behind the song is the song was written especially to move the story along. And it's, uh, without boring you to tears, it's a lovely story. Meet me in Louis. The family, a very happy family, very well-adjusted, gorgeous family, living in St. Louis in an early 20th century. Beautiful family. And suddenly their father throws a grenade and says, um, we're all uplifting and going to live in New York. And the family are very stoic about it, you know, and very, you know, they try and get on with it. They're very supportive of their father. But of course, they're really quite sad. They're really quite sad. They don't want to leave St. Louis, particularly at the end of the World's Fair is going to be this great exposition is going to be happening there. And they're proud to live in St. Louis and they don't really want to leave. Now, the story behind Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is uh, on Christmas Eve, Judy Garland's co-star Margaret O'Brien is terribly sad and uh, gets very upset about the concept of leaving to live in New York. And that's when Judy Garland does the very famous scene with her where she sings Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Now, uh, Hugh Martin who did the music and lyrics for the song. The song was written especially for the context of the film. So the original lyric was all about moving on. You know, it was all about leaving, almost mourning leaving. So it was quite a depressing lyric. It was, have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last, was the original lyric. 
So can you imagine? Have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. Chris Garland said, there's no way on earth I'm going to sing <laughs> this song. And nobody wanted her, you know, a bit of Nelly, the director, didn't want, the, no, we can't have this, it's too depressing. So they had to do a rewrite. So that, that's where you get the famous lyric that we all know, you know, uh, have yourself a merry little Christmas, make the Yuletide, whatever. So, so you know, all of that was done. So it was Garland who had the lyric modified originally, especially for the movie. She felt that it was just too depressing. But it's an interesting thing, though, because it's a song which was designed to carry the story along, you know, and that's what they did in musicals in those days. They were very cleverly moving the narrative along. Yeah, so over the years, obviously other people have sung it. As you said, Sinatra. I mean, Sinatra modified many lyrics. Again, he too, later on in the 50s when he sang it, um, he didn't like the notion of a, you know, there's a bit of the song which goes a you'll have to muddle through somehow. And I think he said something like, well, that doesn't sound particularly positive. What does that mean? So I think over the years, people have modified it accordingly. So it's a song which has been adapted for styles and tastes over the years. So, you know, Sinatra, Doris Day, Ella Fitzgerald, and then even now going to the current day, people like Michael Bublé, Sam Smith, and of course, Judy's daughter Lorna did it with Judy in a very special, you know, juxtaposed uh, duet in the mid 90s. So it lends itself to a lot of interpretations. But the big thing, which I always say every time I hear other people sing it, is it was Judy Garland's song. And it was Judy who demanded that the lyric was rewritten to be more positive and to be less depressing as it was in the original context. Do you think due to the depth in her voice and just sort of the sadness in her voice, would you credit that as the reason that maybe people don't always play her version? Because I have heard so many other versions and you say that a lot of times they don't play her version. And I'm wondering why that is because yeah. it's not the happiest Christmas song, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I think her version, I would say this, wouldn't I? But I think her version is so full of beautiful and the original interpretation of the lyric. Um, but she recorded it very much within the context of the narrative of the film. And I think other people have sort of stepped out of that narrative and done it in their own way. But I just think that you have to understand the movie, really. You know, you know like, imagine this was the greatest collective of, um, of talents of all time who actually went to create this film. You know, Arthur Freed was the producer, Vincent Minnelli was the director. There is an interesting idea, though, which I always find quite intriguing. It's almost like the second Over the Rainbow, which we mentioned earlier. It's the next stage of Over the Rainbow, because at the end of the day... Meet Me in St. Louis is about a family who are saying there's no place like home. There's no place like St. Louis. We want to stay here. And um, Over the Rainbow was Dorothy attempting to get back home. So it's an interesting thing. It's, it's like a Dorothy over the rainbow, desperate to get home because there's no place like home. And Meet Me in St. Louis are a family who are desperate not to leave home. But it's the same concept, the same philosophy. Oh, wow. And it's almost like the next generation of Over the Rainbow. And I think um, that's the power of it. I, I don't think a version is melancholy. I think it's um, soulful and done with great sincerity. But yet again, sung within, you know, uh, Margaret O'Brien, her co-star, who played uh, Tutti, it was very much, um, she just had this terribly, you know, awful time, you know, knocking down all the, all the snowmen in the garden, desperately not wanting to leave St. Louis. And I think... Uh, Judy was there really to calm her and to relax her. That's why you, when you see the scene in the movie where Garland sings it, it's very much um, you know, holding her sister and trying to calm her down. 
And I think that's the context of the song, really. You know, I have to be frank. This song, as a B-side, as the Tori Amos B-side, came out on the single Spark. And Spark was released. It was the first song that Tori released after she had her miscarriage. And it was a song talking about her miscarriage. And so the fact that this song was on the single as a B-side, and it was released in April, so it wasn't the Christmas season, and Tori's version is so sad, or it feels just so lost. Maybe I'm taking, and maybe every Tory fan <laughs> is taking that context of that and putting it onto the song, onto the original. Because you're right, as I'm thinking about Judy's version, it's not necessarily melancholy. It is, And she even asked for a lyric change to be less melancholy. So... That's so interesting. Did you get a chance to listen to Tori's version? Yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry because of this house move. I was about to do it earlier this afternoon, <laughs> and then my Wi-Fi went down. Never move house. Well, <laughs> let me. You know what the audience doesn't know is that you're under a big move right now. Now, what is it like to move all of your Judy Garland stuff? Do you have like a special room, or like are you taking special oh, no, care? No, it's going into special storage. It's <laughs> gone into special storage. <laughs> I can't believe the worst thing about accumulating years of stuff is. Um, you have to you have to move it. Yeah, it's quite horrifying. It's, it's like when you open a wardrobe and everything falls on top of you. Like, <laughs> where did all that come from? But it's the. Uh, I promise you, I'll listen to it. You know, my Wi-Fi's back because you, you probably can tell now. But um, yeah, there's so many things I'm looking forward to. The move should be finished very shortly, so um, I'm hoping to resume. Um, well, I can't wait for you to hear it, and I can't wait to hear what you think about it. And I want to know also: is this your? Be honest. Is this your favorite Christmas song of all time? Uh, well, absolutely, absolutely. But, but for so many reasons, uh, can I just explain? The, I mean, again, you know, because it's from probably one of the greatest movies MGM musicals ever made, but but it's such a poignant film because it, you know, in 1944, imagine the. Uh, this is an interesting thing though, which people forget: the war was still going on. So you know, Garland sang this song for the troops. She recorded it on her Decca label. So it was a single. It was a very very well known song, and it offered support and hope in much the same way over the rainbow did in 39 gave troops the sympathy and the support that they needed during a really difficult period so it's got that contextual bit to it but it's also a landmark movie for judy because um she didn't want to make it she absolutely didn't want to make the film why she felt it was a backward step for her because um you know she wanted to go on and play adult roles this was a far more juvenile role again she made fun of the script and she was you know terribly difficult to begin with she really she really didn't <laughs> want to make it she just thought you know but you know, she was persuaded and obviously she fell in love with vincent minnelli during the making of the film mm-hmm. so without me in st louis and without have yourself a merry little christmas that probably wouldn't have been liza Benelli. whoa <laughs> because um, it all happened during the making of this film but it also was the landmark where you know glorious technicolor no more black and white movies uh garland as a single vehicle no more co-stars required she stood alone like a colossus and they knew that that was it that she would hold the film and it changed the nature of the rest of her MGM career for the, for the next five, six years. In a way, when I listen to it, I, I, I think of all these things, you know, the, the story behind it. And Vincent Minnelli was a very nurturing director and she realized that he made her look beautiful. You know, it's a love letter to Judy Garland when you see yeah. her sing. When you see her sing, you know, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas on the big screen, you can see how much she adored her in terms of cinematography and color and um, even Judy said, you know, he made me look wonderful. She was so proud of that. And I think she actually once jokingly said, I hadn't reckoned on Vincent Minnelli. I think that had he not been there to nurture 
that the film had ever been made wow. because she really didn't want to do it. Because she had to play... The great thing about the movie is gullibility, and um, she had to play you know, someone very, very innocent and sweet. You have to let your guard down to do that. And when she realised that was how it had to be played, it became an instant hit. So for me, the song is embedded in all of that context. So I think it is important, you know, loss. That's why Tori's right, you know, love loss very sadly as you say you know after a miscarriage which is terribly terribly sad but it, it all has to be put into that context 1944 warfare it's a classic song but it does have this shadow of over the rainbow to it i think as well you know i absolutely love that insight it does have that same vibe it absolutely does remind me like a sister song to over the rainbow and also to hear that you're watching her through his gaze and like him falling in love with her at that time i think that's just such a beautiful story i also noticed you said she released it on decca records because tori's on decca records now so they're late i think the parallels are frightening aren't they yeah it's it's, it's, (laughs) It's nuts. How many times do you estimate you've seen Meet Me in St. Louis? Oh, good. Well, you know, not, 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 I don't know, 20, 15, 20. (laughs) Yeah. In various permutations, you know, you're invited to see it on the big screen. Well, we were invited to see it on the big screen. (laughs) Like the National Film Theatre in London did a lovely version. And now, of course, it's on Blu-ray. And I just wanted to communicate to everyone the context behind the song, which really does make you understand why it's so popular. But again, I'll just tell you... Every time I hear someone else sing, I go, why the... Can I say bloody hell on your yeah. podcast? <laughs> yes, please. Why the bloody hell don't they play Judy's version? <laughs> and a, a lot of my friends get really irritated by me. Is there a version you just hate? Oh, well, I hate it when it's too upbeat. You know, when people do... It's a bit like the song What Now My Love. If you've ever heard Frank Sinatra sing What Now My Love, he sings it like it's... Um, if you listen to the lyrics, it's a, a completely devastating song. <laughs> but he sings it like it's, he's in a bar, you know, tap dancing. And I'm going to... Oh, the Sinatra fans are going to hate me now, but... Um, <laughs> I don't think there are many Sinatra stands here. <laughs> but she's not, you know, it's a stunning song. But as you said, it has been modified significantly over the years. But we must get it. It was Judy Garland who had the original lyric modified because both she and Manelli and a few other colleagues thought there's no way you can allow Judy Garland to sing this depressing song. <laughs> Follow Gary Horrocks, Gary J. Horrocks on Twitter. You can also follow Judy Garland Club on Twitter. And when is this Judy Garland a celebration magazine coming out? Well, do you know, this is what everyone's been asking me. I've had such a turbulent... (laughs) (laughs) These these, these things are huge issues. Lorna Smith, the founder of the club, died and I did her eulogy and I promised now she's gone to try and get something. If I can calm down from this move Mm -hmm, to get mm -hmm. something done towards the end of the year. It has been difficult. There's such huge undertakings to produce but i'm on the case and hopefully towards the end of the year we'll have something out well, um, i can't wait to get my own copy am i is the public going to be able to get a copy oh you can have a, as many copies as you like oh. i promise you maybe we should do something like that in the tory community listen up someone make a magazine please gary thank you so much for being here we're going to find a million reasons to bring you back i just love talking to you and if you need any help with judy garland a celebration let us know You've been lovely and, um, you know, enjoy your Academy Awards. I wish I was with you. I have my speech ready. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Gary, we'll talk again. Okay, speak soon. Bye. Be safe. Bye-bye.
together if the fates allow until then we'll have to muddle through somehow so have yourself a merry little Christmas now. You are entering the AMOS Live Lounge. Last stop on the Kuvershtadam. Welcome back to the lounge, David. Thanks. Can we have noggin here or no? Yeah. I mean, you'll have to drink it at the bar. Do not get it on the settee. He's a coaster. And I apologize for all these pine needles on the floor. You can't get rid of them. Yeah, exactly. That's why I will go with fake every time from now on. <laughs> fake Christmas trees and fake laughter. <laughs> Tori Amos has performed this song only four times in her entire career. What do you think about that? It's more than I've performed it. It's funny to me because she has done, not in 98, but later on in 2009, even into 2020, when she has more or holiday music and she has done shows that have centered around those this song has never really come back out it's true that to me tells me that it's sort of tied with a negative memory or you know it's tied with something sad i'm sure that was true for a while i would imagine that she's kind of in a different place with it now but i do think that that's probably one of the reasons why she didn't play it for a long time mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and i do think she was even though she recorded it obviously i do think she was a little cool for school and she wouldn't have wanted to play a christmas song <laughs> live in concert she'd been like oh that's so cheesy but now she's like it's whatever it's cool tori did not perform this song in 1998 or 1999 even though she did those christmas shows she did the like acoustic christmas that's what just shocks me at the end of 99 she was doing her christmas shows well she loved to defy expectations she sure did well let's not forget when she did acoustic Christmas in 96, she could have trotted out a Christmas song and said she played Losing My Religion. That's a very Tory thing to do. Yes. But at a show called The Holiday Nutcracker, she still didn't do it. Give the people what they want for once. These are the names of the shows that she performed at the end of the 99 tour. After she did that solo show in London, she performed such hit shows as Jingle Bell Jam, Mm -hmm. Holiday Nutcracker, and Acoustic Christmas. (laughs) You would expect. She couldn't be bothered. She was like, I'm at the Jingle Ball Jam. Should I bust out, have yourself a Merry Little Christmas? No. How about a solo version of Juarez? Ah, beautiful. Merry Christmas. So the first time she performed the song was actually October 27th, 2001 on the Strange Little Tour in St. Louis, Missouri. And here we have that. Obviously in her mind, tied with the film Meet Me in St. Louis.
October 27th. Do you think Tori is personally responsible for Christmas season starting before Halloween now? It started here. You know that some retail person was sitting in the audience thinking to themselves, oh crap, I need to buy this and this for the house. I need to get some stockings. And they made it happen. She inspired them to make it happen. So yeah, Mm. she's the source. In most cases, she is the source. It all goes back to Tori. She next performed this song on December 17th, 2001 in Milan. That was close to Christmas and it was her last show of the tour. So it was kind of like a goodbye, no? Yeah, I think so. Her holiday goodbye. She has a tendency to do that when she's touring in December or at the end of the year. It was the final song of the set prior to Hey Jupiter and Hey Jupiter is the last song on the set so it's just kind of like waving goodbye have yourself a Merry little Christmas see ya to do Holly, Ivy, and Rose at a random show in October? In 2001? She sure did not. (laughs) No later, like Night of Hunters or something. Well, listeners, you'll have to go to the Holly, Ivy, and Rose episode to find out that fact. She did not perform this song in 2002, 2003, 2005, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, but she did bring it back in 2011 on the Night of Hunters tour. Seattle, Washington, December 14th. Roll it, Oliver. Seattle show was a very wintry affair. She did winter, our new year, edge of the moon. It was very, you know, Christmas in space. Am I wrong? You're right. I think she associates Seattle with Christmas time and the space needle and Tosh (laughs) and also the space needle. You're right. Ooh, Christmas on the space needle. Ouch. I want to know why she doesn't write this song on her set lists as Christmas in space, though she may. I've never actually seen a set list for either of these three shows, so she could have written it as Christmas in space. Probably because Ah. she forgot she ever called it that. Yeah, that's exactly why. Like, if she wrote it as Christmas in space, she'd bring the show to a halt. She would have no idea what it was. She'd be like, I don't have a song called Christmas in space or Samurai. (laughs) Who put this on the set list? Samurai's in space. The next and final time Tori performed this song was on the 2017 Native Invader Tour in Los Angeles, California, the first of three shows. If I'm not mistaken, I believe it was a request from Aaron Russell. This is December 1st at the Ace Hotel.
our fake Muse network was very Christmassy because she paired it with Little Drummer Boy, right? She sure did. Isn't that exciting? Play Tori. Play Tori. <laughs> I shouted from the audience. Play your Tori. Do you think she'll play the song again in her 2021 winter tour? I would be there for that. Yeah, I would be there even for not that. <laughs> I don't think she'll ever play this if it's not a request. Maybe, maybe not. But to be clear, I would be here for it. And I would be here for anything else as well. <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> Just let me know when the dates are, Tori. Well, I guess it's time to leave the lounge. That was a short visit. Don't want to overstay our welcome at Christmas. You drop in, you have a piece of pie, and you leave. Don't worry about finishing your nog. I'll leave it for you for next year. Yeah, just put it in the sink. Where it'll sit till next Christmas. (laughs) Gross. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the AMOS Live Lounge. Goodbye. traveled through the season got the post christmas blues oh why it's always a letdown now what are we gonna look forward to bachelorette eating this giant tray of cookies that too (laughs) that's an endless cycle i eat a tray of cookies to combat my christmas blues and then i get cookie blues and then it all starts again do you think your mom will make her cookie party this year an entirely dairy-free event no i don't (laughs) i'll float that idea but i'm not sure how much traction it'll get I thought you were going to ask if she was going to make it Tory themed and everyone had to make a Tory Christmas cookie. Do you think it would be easier to get her to do that or a dairy-free event? I don't know. I think they are both a lot to ask for (laughs) and explain. If you were going to make a Tory Christmas cookie, what would it look like? What would my Tory Christmas cookie look like? Uh Uh-huh. I would make a iced cookie, a flat, like regular typical sugar cookie, but I would make it iced and it would be like her wild red hair from 1992. Ooh. Yeah. And then you just bite her head off. What about you? I want to do a sugar cookie, but make it like the flaming piano from Boys for Pele or Resistance, I guess. She Uh, loves to set a piano on fire. Uh Uh-huh. I wanted, (laughs) we can make Tori breastfeeding the pig cookies. That is her Christmas Um, card. This is my Madonna and child. Oh, yes. I think that all my Tori cookies in my mind are iced. (laughs) They're just like, it requires someone to be really good at freehand drawing Tori. Well, you could do like the under the pink crayon drawings. You can make that cute. Yeah, but those wouldn't look like they would taste that good. (laughs) (laughs) What would you call a Tori-inspired cookie? A holiday cookie. You can bring your nog. Um, That's fun. I would call my cookies snow angels. That's cute. They'd be like little powdered donut balls. Who wants a snow angel? That's what they'd be. They would not look like angels. You just call it Baker Baker. No change required. That's what I would make them call me. I would call mine beauty queen cookies. <laughs> beauty queen slash cookies. I would call mine widow doodles. Oh, that's cute. I like that. They're hard to say, but they're delicious to eat. Mm. If you like what we do, and if you want cookies, you can head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash songs and become a supporter today. We have many different perks at many different levels. Maybe we should make a cookie perk. Maybe for like, if you get to a high level, we'll make you a dozen cookies. What do you think? 
Sure. Then you have to package them. I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to make anyone sick by sending them cookies in the mail and then they get sick. What if they have dietary restrictions? What's wrong with your cookies? Why are they going to make people sick? Nothing, but like, what if that, I'm not saying anything about my cookies. I'm saying something about the post office. Okay. What if it takes them forever? It will. I like those little pecan cookies. Do you know what little pecan cookies I'm talking about? Do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Little pecans? Yeah, they're like thumbprint, but with a pecan in them. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a kind of grandma cookie. You can follow us on all our social media at Songs of Toremus on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Do it now. Join the conversation. Do it now. Have yourself a merry little Christmas now, because if you don't, now. Now. We're also asking that you download the Clubhouse app. Clubhouse, if you have an iPhone. They're coming out with an Android version eventually, and soon, I think. That's what I've heard. But if you do join the Clubhouse app, you can follow our club. It's called Clubhouse Sandwich, and it's a Tori Amos group for people on Clubhouse. We're going to do some drop-in audio events. We're not sure what they are or when they'll be, but you got to be in the club. You have to have, you don't have to be in the club, but you at least have to have the Clubhouse app. You got to get it. And if you need an invite, let us know. Email us at songsatoriamiss at gmail.com or call our voicemail, 323-296-9955. Leave us a message about anything you want. You can also listen to our daily show, Never Shut Up, five days a week, Monday through Friday. Get into it. Just do all these things. Live your life, but also do all these things. Ah, well, that's it. That was it. And just like at the end of every party, I'm just going to be standing here by myself under the mistletoe, waiting to be noticed. So sad. Well, at the end of the party, no one's there. No one's there to notice you. Yeah, it's not going to go well for me. Well, I'm going to slowly back out then. (laughs) Like Homer Simpson in that one meme. Like into the hedges. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I'll go. (laughs) Thank you for listening, as always. And we'll be back again. Merry Kramer. Bye. Bye. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamus.com.